This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For most Canadians, we think nothing of the ability to wake up and open social media apps on our phone, log on to laptops for work, or tune into high-definition streaming on our TVs. But in Canada, that's not the reality for many people. For people living in remote areas or living on low incomes, the simple act of accessing the internet is either too slow, too expensive, or simply not available. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3. Jessica Mundy, the 2022 recipient of the Michelle Lang Fellowship in Journalism, joins me to discuss why it's so hard for some Canadians to access the internet, who's most affected, and what the federal government is doing to try to remedy the problem. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. We're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Jessica, you just finished up the year as the Michelle Lang Fellow in Journalism with Post Media, and and you just wrapped up that year with a a large project that launched in the National Post called Left Behind. I'm just wondering, can you walk us through the focus of the Left Behind project? Yeah. So, the focus was on the digital divide. So the gap between those who have access to information and communication technology. In the case of this project, I was really focusing on home internet access. So I focused really on telling the stories of Canadians that have been left behind as the rest of the country gets increasingly more reliable and better quality internet service. And why did you want to look at that? Why did you want to look at how disconnected some Canadians are to a service that many of us take for granted in our day-to-day lives? When I pitched the project, it was really just about that. Having reliable and affordable internet access is something that I really do think is taken for granted. And I wanted to shine a light on this undercovered issue that I don't, I don't, I really don't think many even realize exists. The fact that some people just don't have home internet access. I also, at the time, it was also pretty timely. The pandemic had really showed just how important it is to have reliable home internet. There were months when we couldn't even leave our homes, but we're still expected to keep up with work and school, which at the time was impossible to do without the internet. Yeah, and I I think this just further digital divide, making this issue even more important than it already was before the pandemic. And another reason why now really was the time to report on it. And looking at connectivity in its broadest terms, are there are there regions in Canada that are the least connected or, or spots where it's just, you know, good luck getting an internet connection? Yeah, yeah. The project focused on five sort of different aspects of the digital divide and five different communities that are the least connected. In terms of regions, first and foremost, rural and remote communities, which goes hand in hand with Indigenous communities and First Nation reserves because many of them can be remote. I would say these communities are the least connected across the country. And I say like that's like across the country, no matter the province, if you're in a rural area, you probably have worse internet or are not as connected. And then there are low-income Canadians who struggle to afford internet, uh, Canadians with disabilities 
who uh, face kind of a different set of struggles when it comes to um, internet and connecting to the internet. And then those that don't really know how to use the internet, which would be like older folks, newcomers to Canada and younger people. And those are more, I guess, um, specific communities of people and less so like a region. But um, those were sort of the five different aspects of the project and the communities that I, I wrote about. And when you were doing your reporting and talking to people in these, in these various communities, what were some of the things that they were saying to you about how this digital divide was affecting their lives? The digital divide definitely affects their lives in a lot of different ways. Not being connected to the internet means that they're lacking very basic and extremely important things like online banking, consulting a doctor, you know, using the various online applications to work and go to school, as well as signing up for government benefits. Um, All of those things are now online and all of which became essential during the pandemic. There are really like there are simpler conveniences too, things that I think are most often taken for granted. You know, even stuff like calling an Uber, calling a Lyft, getting your food and your groceries delivered, using social media, staying up to date with the news. And also like, frankly, just using the internet for hobbies and enjoyment. I think that's a really important aspect of why people enjoy having home internet. Specifically something that I think was really, really important during the pandemic and something that I think people are using a lot more now is the internet for communication, being able to connect with family and friends over video, um, calling, chatting. These are all things that, um, you know, really affect the lives of people that don't have internet access. And so when you're, we're looking at the issue of getting these people connected or, or looking to end the digital divide, what are some roadblocks to getting these communities internet? Is it remoteness and the inability to get infrastructure there? Is it affordability? What, what are some of the issues that came up in your discussion and your reporting? There are two main issues, which I think present like the biggest roadblocks. The first being investments in infrastructure. So there is in rural and remote areas and indigenous communities specifically, there really is not reliable internet infrastructure in place. And big telecommunications companies don't really have the incentive to put up internet towers, satellites, because they aren't going to see the same return on their investment that they do in urban areas. So that's one issue. There's just like, it's frankly harder to access good internet because the infrastructure just isn't there. And then second is it's the affordability, the price. Um, It is really expensive to have have home internet in Canada, especially in certain areas and for certain communities. Canada has some of the most expensive internet plans in the world due to the dominance of certain telecom providers and the state of the telecommunications market. We really Our telecommunications market is very small. There's essentially no competition and it's really hard for small and independent internet service providers to get set up. You know, these smaller independent ISPs usually want to provide more affordable and accessible internet for these communities, yet it's really, really difficult for them to even um, begin offering. And while price definitely is an issue in rural areas. It is an issue in urban areas as well for both low-income Canadians who have access to internet 
as well as people with disabilities, one in four of which um, in Canada is considered low income. Both these communities too also have trouble affording high home internet rates and they they live in urban areas. So it's not necessarily just just rural areas that see price as an issue. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about some of those, the urban issues shortly, but sticking with the rural areas for right now, even for those who have internet, it's not like we're talking about the kind of internet that you or I may have in the city where we are, where we're high quality streaming, high definition gaming online, things like that. Like how does the speed in these rural areas compare to cities? The lack of infrastructure in rural areas is one of the reasons why speed is so bad. Um, This causes bottlenecks, which essentially, because there's only one internet service point, a lot of people are accessing it all at once and it makes the internet service lag. People usually, when I was speaking to people for my project, they normally felt this like on a Friday night after school, all the kids are home and everybody is trying to stream Netflix. Everybody's trying to like go online. And that's when the internet service gets really bad. In terms of when you are comparing directly big cities and rural areas, um, since the beginning of the pandemic, so the median rural download speed, which is the speed at which your computer is taking information from the internet, it's downloading, has nearly tripled. So in 2020, the median rural download speed was 7.2 megabits per second. And it went up to 20.9 megabits per second in 2022. So there was an increase. But in urban areas, the median in 2022 was 74.6 megabits per second, which is significantly more than 20.9 and means that even over the course of 2020-2022, the median rural download speed still doesn't even match the urban speeds. So in Canada, we do have a universal service objective, which is set by the CRTC, which is 50 megabits per second download and 10 megabits per second upload. And the CRTC wants all Canadians to have this speed by 2020, 2030, sorry. So right now, they report that only 53.4% of rural communities have access to these speeds. And the question really remains and is currently if they're actually getting these speeds and if they can even afford the rates that they have to pay. We'll be right back. And so the federal government has kind of set these goals to to get everybody up to the same speeds. How are the feds trying to help? How are the feds trying to to help these kind of more remote communities or lower income communities or First Nations communities become connected in the way that that many of us take for granted? So in rural areas to like incentivize infrastructure or for companies to build infrastructure, they have the $2.75 billion universal broadband fund, which is to support high-speed internet projects in rural and remote communities. There are issues with this fund. The main one being is the criteria to be eligible. So eligible products have to cover an area that does not already have 50, 10 megabits per second service, which is the universal service objective. And 
as I said, the question is really whether or not these areas are actually receiving the speeds. Um, There was a community in Alberta who was trying to get money from the Universal Broadband Fund to, you know, set up their own internet service provider kind of in their community. And they ended up not qualifying because technically they did have 50, 10 megabyte per second service in their area, but like they weren't, it was too expensive. It wasn't reliable. So they ended up not actually getting any money from the government to build this when, you know, they still, they needed internet and they didn't have it. And then in urban areas for low income Canadians and people that can't afford internet, there are some different subsidy programs run in partnership with the federal government and internet service providers. Of course, there's also some issues with these as well. There's one program called the Connecting Families Program, which is specifically for low-income families, um, which provides 200 gigabytes of data and 5010 megabits per second speeds for $20 a month. First issue is 200 gigabytes is not nearly enough internet for a family. It's just it just wouldn't be enough internet. They would absolutely rip through that. It's also only designed to serve up to 220,000 households across the entire country and is only eligible to those receiving the maximum child care benefit and low-income seniors receiving the maximum guaranteed income supplement. And from the people I spoke to, the experts, this is like not even close to addressing the need for affordable internet. Like it doesn't begin to address the amount of people that actually really do need affordable internet not only low-income Canadians but also medium-income Canadians like internet can be really really expensive and this doesn't this doesn't help them at all so yeah those are two of the kind of federal programs meant to uh help these people get internet but um as I said there are there are some major issues (laughs) yeah I mean one thing I'm curious about and I'm not sure if there's a an answer here, but the idea that, you know, the federal government's trying to help the, there's funds that are set up that may not be adequate. What role do the telecom companies have to play? I know you mentioned that they don't necessarily have an incentive to drag you, you know, utilities all the way out into the middle of nowhere, but surely there's a role for them to play. Is there, you know, when you, when you talk to experts or, or communities, do they expect that the big telecom companies or even smaller ones will help them address the problem? <laughs> um, I think they don't expect big telecom companies to help them address the problem. Um, I think big telecom companies are quite frankly, quite happy that they don't aren't being forced or don't have to make these investments because it wouldn't um, serve them. It wouldn't make them a ton of money. They, there is like the big telecom companies do partner in these uh, federal government programs, specifically like the connecting families program in order to be a part of it. Like an internet service provider has to participate voluntarily and they they don't give out subsidies to the service provider to be able to like give Canadians this really cheap internet, meaning that the service provider already has to have the bandwidth to provide it. And this isn't an issue for large telecom companies like Rogers and Bell, because they already have the internet infrastructure in place to provide this internet service. So yeah, they can partner with the Connecting Families program and they can offer this $20 internet because they already have it. 
For smaller internet service providers, though, that rely on purchasing wholesale broadband from big telecom providers, it's a lot more difficult for them to participate. So big telecom in Canada really, uh, it really has the upper hand and there's not much incentive for them to necessarily help or expand for anyone that doesn't have internet. And I don't think anyone's expecting them to, honestly, too. Yeah. And, and so you have a lot of communities who are kind of left to deal with smaller internet service providers if they're available, satellite internet. But some communities are kind of left to their own devices and have to tackle the problems themselves. So what are these communities doing? And what communities are we talking about? This is particularly, like it's seen particularly in Indigenous communities. There's been a lot, a lot of work from many years before the pandemic to set up community-owned and run ISPs. So essentially, these are internet service providers that are owned by the communities they serve. So this small community was able to get funds to invest in a fiber optic network put into their community, and it's owned and operated locally by the community which is good because it it allows them to offset the price of the internet if they need to make it cheaper during certain times. I know there were some communities that during the pandemic, they tried to make the internet more affordable for the residents because they knew that, you know, they would be on the internet a lot and they were able to divert a lot of traffic to certain areas in the network because they wanted it to be reliable at all times and then it also allows them to design the network specifically for the needs of their communities. Um, and in remote communities, this means, you know, developing like an internet school and telehealth, which are really important because it means that community members don't have to like trek for hours and days to get to the nearest doctor or to go to a different high school. And while these community networks have a lot of upfront costs, you know, you have to install it, pay for the labor, um, a lot were able to get grants from the federal government to set these up. And now they have reliable internet. And a lot have been able to, you know, actually make companies out of this. And they've been able to expand into other rural and remote areas around and other indigenous communities and First Nations reserves that have never had internet before. And as I, as I said, these communities have been doing this for many years. There's been, there was one internet service provider that I talked to who's had online, an online school system and a telehealth system for 20 years before the pandemic. So this is like, this is technology that I was using for the first time, like two years ago when the pandemic hit, because I've always been able to go to school. I've always been able to go to the doctor, but they've been doing this for such a long time. And I think these communities really offer uh, solutions and ways forward in terms of connecting rural and remote areas. Now, when it comes to accessibility, as you mentioned before, we're not just talking about where you live in Canada or your economic status, that people with disabilities also face challenges in the digital space. What kind of challenges are we talking about here? So for people with disabilities, um, often challenges arise with assistive technologies. Either they're unaffordable, there's steep learning curves, or most often that a lot of websites that you visit on the internet are not set up to be used with these assistive technologies. Actually, online, the more than 90% of websites do not meet web content accessibility guidelines 
which are essentially like a recognized set of standards that are meant to help web developers and designers make websites that can be used with these technologies. So there's a lot of websites that just make, that are just really, really difficult to navigate for people with disabilities, whether or not they're blind, um, don't have use of their arms or whatever their disability may be. There's also, um, we have a few disability acts, like regulations in Canada that, um, you know, we're supposed to outline um, how to deal with information and communication uh, technologies for people with disabilities. And none of them really do a good job at outlining just exactly how websites and the internet should be accessible for people with disabilities. And many times these acts are under-enforced and provide like really long timelines for businesses to adhere to them. So there are a couple of big challenges for people with disabilities when it comes to getting connected on the internet. And one last question on the topic, you know, you talked earlier about some of the ways that Canadians are, are using internet and some of them are may be considered luxuries like streaming services, things like that. Some of them may be considered essential like healthcare and education, banking. And there's one piece of it that I'm, I'm curious about and whether this is concerned to experts, this idea that we get so much information by way of the internet now, news, scientific information. This is especially relevant. The fact that we've been in a global pandemic for three years and there's all sorts of information out there. Are there concerns that that some Canadians are falling behind in terms of their access to information and their ability to participate in society in the same way as others? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think most people when they when they get their news, when they get their, you know, information, it comes from their phones or it comes from their computers. And for a lot of people, that's a, it's a service they lack. People that I've spoke to, you know, during the pandemic, one man didn't have internet for the entire pandemic. And while he had a TV that could get three channels and a radio, he wasn't necessarily getting the up-to-date information, the, you know, important stuff that we were getting in two seconds when uh, Twitter was updated or when, you know, there was a, you know, a news update or something. So I definitely think being up-to-date as well as having access to news and information is definitely something that you know people with internet are lacking and is a big concern for those that are invested in bringing internet to all Canadians. Well it's a fascinating discussion it's a definitely a topic that many Canadians may not think about but is important for the whole country. Jessica appreciate your work and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Jessica Mundy. You can review the whole Left Behind series at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.